generosity of spirit. And it's that generosity that is our focus as we launch this new preaching series today. The preaching series is entitled, entitled A Dangerous Generosity. It's one of our church's core values, by the way. Have you looked recently at the core values that drive us? We as leaders and staff look at those every week virtually, and we say, are we living by these core values? How are these core values directing us, informing our decisions? And one of those core values is generosity. We want to practice generosity, understand generosity, be bathed in generosity, express generosity, live generosity in every form with every opportunity. Today we launch out into a preaching series that's going to spend several weeks on that subject of generosity. It's a dangerous generosity in that it's the kind of thing that can disrupt a complacent heart, tilt a selfish, violent, oppressive world. The practice of generosity has the power to do all of that. And we all know that even in our context, where nothing as drastic as the things we saw in this film, even in our context, where nothing that drastic is necessarily happening, even in our context, we need to tilt this world. This world needs change, it needs new seasoning, it needs a new voice, it needs new responses to the things that hurt and wound. Do we agree with that? I mean, we, we are a people who need to hear the message of Jesus when he says, live like I lived, and taught us to do things like forgive your enemies, be gracious to the person in the locker next to you that hasn't ever been gracious to you, and so on and so forth. That's the leaven that gets invested in this lump we deal with the same kinds of challenges as everybody around us, but we deal with them differently. We deal with them lovingly. We deal with them with generosity. We need that message, and our world needs us with that message. This particular message today I've entitled, Generosity, a Noble Wound, and want to explore and teach a little bit in that exploration Explore the connection between generosity and pain. That's what stood out to me in these interviews. That there was pain in the hearts and lives of the young girls that were interviewed. And at the same time, a generosity expressed somehow in them that was not really explainable. A noble wound. The exploration of the connection between generosity and pain. Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, will you come and be our teacher, our interpreter? Teach us in ways that we can reflect on what we hear. Respond to your heart, your dream, your preferred agenda for humanity and for the earth. And assist us to proclaim, O oh Lord, the good news of Christ especially when there's bad news all around. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. A noble wound. Before we move on, in fact, as we move on, I thought it would be good first to look at that word generosity and get some renewed understanding of what it means, to sort of define our terms. What is generosity in defining our terms? It's actually an old word, an ancient word, uh, that referred to, initially, being of noble birth. So 
at the birth of this word, the earliest use of this word generosity, as far as we can tell in our studies, it simply referred to nobility. So if you were a generous person, that meant you were of noble birth. It didn't necessarily take on the meaning that it has now until, well, that evolved. And by the 18th century, it was beginning to take on more of the meaning that we have now, that we assign to it now. By then, it evolved to a word referring to noble actions like that of noble birth, people of noble birth. So you were initially of noble birth when generosity was assigned to you. But then by the 19th century, it was generally understood that it referred to actions that reflected nobility, actions like that of being open-handed. And so the definition began to mean more of what we understand it to mean today. It's defined not only by what it embraces, but also by what it rejects. So generosity is defined in part by its opposites, what it stands in opposition to. Things like selfishness and greed and fear, um, meanness, vindictiveness. It's the opposite of all of those. It's defined in part or understood in part by what it opposes, by what it tries to put down. There's no room for any of that under the heading of generosity. And generosity isn't just about giving things. We tend to think generosity means just giving things to people, giving away things. Generosity, inherent in the understanding of generosity, is the idea of giving good things. So generosity, true generosity, always seeks to enhance the life of its object. Um, I have a nephew who received, had a birthday recently, a great nephew actually. He's my niece's son. And he received a really nice, beautiful pocket knife from his grandmother. Really sharp blade, honed to perfection. Very generous gift, unless you really understand generosity, because generosity always seeks the best interest, the health of the recipient of the generosity. And my little nephew is only four years old. So we agree in our family that his grandmother on the other side of the family, not my sister-in-law, on the other side of the family now, gave him a gift, but it wasn't a generous gift because it wasn't necessarily in that four-year-old's best interest, we didn't think, to have a razor-sharp knife in his pocket all the time. Can we agree on that? So that's giving, but that's not necessarily generous giving. Generosity gives good things to the people it's expressed toward. And they can be various things that contribute to the abundant life Jesus was talking about. It can be money, it can be shelter, possessions, time, attention, aid, encouragement, emotional availability, forgiveness, things like that, that are in the best interest, that enhance the life toward an abundant life, enhance the life of the one receiving them. So it's not just giving things, but giving good things. There are biblical words, biblical translations that talk about generosity. I thought it would be helpful just to look at some of the words that are translated as generous or generosity in Scripture. I'll just give you three examples. In Matthew 20, there's a word used that's translated as generosity, and it's, it's the, the force of the word is the idea of beneficial kindness or needed goods or goodness. The story is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And Jesus is teaching this, that people come to work in a vineyard, and the owner of the vineyard says, if you work for me for a day in my vineyard, I'll give you a day's salary. And they work half the day, and at lunchtime, he has more people come. 
and they worked the second half of the day. So some people worked the whole day, some people worked only the second half of the day, eight hours, four hours. When it comes to the end of the day and it's time to get paid, the vineyard owner gathers everybody and he says to the people who worked four hours, here is a full day's pay. And everybody that worked eight hours is thinking, we're going to get two days pay because we work twice as long as them. But the owner of the vineyard says to them, and here's your full day's pay. And they're upset. And they say, wait a minute. We worked eight hours. They worked four hours. Yet you pay us all the same. And the owner of the vineyard says, look, don't I have the right to do that? Did I cheat you? I gave you what I promised you. And the text says this. He answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's pay, a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And that's a word that's translated generous. It has the force of the idea of beneficial kindness, giving needed goods, or just goodness. In 2 Corinthians, there's another example. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Thanks be to God. And there's an offering that was taken by all the churches of the region to give to one of the churches that was really struggling. So it's a financial offering, and uh, Paul is carrying this offering to give to the needy Christians. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. Titus not only welcomed our appeal for this offering, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who was praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry this offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism. Uh, could somebody bring me a glass of water? Um, Todd, can you get me a glass of water, brother? Thanks. Of the way we administer this liberal gift or this generous gift for we are taking pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the Lord but also in the eyes of men and women and that's a really interesting word it could be translated literally fat or thick or abundant you could translate that we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this thick gift you could use that word in speaking of uh, corn stalks, like when you got a really good, healthy stock of corn. You could say, man, that's a generous stock of corn. It's so thick. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. So give some sense for the meaning of the word generosity and the way it's used, different words used in Scripture. One last one is 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, and, and this, this particular section is it's a, such a temptation for me to just stop preaching anything else and deal with this because it's pregnant with all sorts of great things. But we're just going to deal with the word generous and the way it's used. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, have we learned that in the last five or six years. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold 
of life that is really life. Oh, it's so tempting to just stop and deal with that text. But the way the word generous is used there, it's a word translated generous. It could be also uh, translated different ways, but here it is translated as generous. But it's a compound word that's actually made up of three words in the original language. It's a compound word that's made up of the word for good and then the word alongside or a word that generally emphasizes everything around it. It's like a booster word. So the three components in this one word, the word good, the word alongside, and then the word to give. So to good and giving all combined. You could translate that word good giving. Uh, Giving what is good for people. So we look at all of that. I want to combine it and come up with a definition for generosity, which is really important to do if we're going to be spending weeks and weeks on this topic. And here's what we're understanding generosity to mean. Generosity is the virtue of giving good and helpful things to others freely, liberally, abundantly, thickly. The virtue of giving good and helpful things to others freely, liberally, abundantly, thickly. And the second question, it's really the last point of this message. The first is, what is generosity? What do we mean by that term? The second one might be the more interesting one for some. Why place generosity under the heading of a wound? Because I entitled this message, A Noble Wound. What does generosity have to do with pain? Why place it under the heading of a wound? It's because it's in the context of pain that generosity stands out most. The things that we saw on the video, the the witnesses that we heard from on the video, what gives their word boosted power is the context of the pain. Their families have been at least deeply affected forever. And they still can say with tenderness, here's the story, here's what happened. That was the last time I saw my father and my little brother. My father always told me to stay close to God. And there's this tenderness, this generous spirit that tells the story. It's in the context of pain that generosity stands out more. In fact, where there is no pain... I'm doubting that there is true generosity. Where there is no pain, there's probably no true generosity. It's probably always connected to pain in some form, in some context. For instance, you have the pain of being under-resourced. And those who are under-resourced in our community and the community of the world a great response to them, a helpful response to them is generosity. They're under-resourced. Christ had a special heart of generosity for the poor. There's no getting around that. You can't read about the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus without recognizing really quickly that he had a warm heart, a tender heart, a compassionate heart for the poor, for the under-resourced, for those who had less than they needed to live a reasonably good life. And in his time, that would be applied, as in our time, to aliens who were sojourners in the land. We have aliens in our land, uh, and oftentimes we're not very compassionate toward them. But Christ would call us to be completely compassionate 
toward them, completely generous toward them. Uh, with widows in Jesus' time, that was even more severe than it is now. We have uh, government programs that help folks who have no other means of help, but we still have to pay attention to those who have less than they need to live an abundant life, a reasonable life, a reasonable existence. Aliens, widows, orphans uh, were especially a focus in the time of Jesus. Anyone who is marginal to the community and thus in danger of being excluded from basic resources. The pain of being under-resourced. Generosity is oftentimes connected to that because it's oftentimes generous people who are giving good and needed gifts that help folks who are under-resourced live a life that we would want to live for ourselves, at least a minimally productive and helpful life. Jesus assumes this almost. Like, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, he's challenging us, and he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others who, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then listen to this, not if, but when you give to the needy, he's speaking to his followers, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. I tell you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, he repeats it again. It's his grand divine assumption. When you do that, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give to the needy, church, when you respond to those who are under-resourced, when you give of yourself generously things that people really need to keep living a decent life. Jesus assumes that. In Mark chapter 10, a man comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you know what you have to do. Man runs up to him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, and honor your mother and father. And teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In a text that I don't have up there, uh, reveals to us the man's response. He was downcast. He was bummed out. He was sad because he owned much. There you have Jesus saying, a concern for providing for the under-resourced is even a part of a person that wants to be following Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus in teaching in the synagogue early in his ministry declares his purpose for life. Here's what I've been anointed for. He reads from the prophets and then connects himself with those prophets as a fulfillment of their proclamation. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the what? To who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recover of sight, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And every single a segment of society that Jesus identifies as needing him 
is an under-resourced segment in his context. Prisoners, blind, poor. Generosity is connected to pain. Pain of being under-resourced needs generosity to respond to it. And Jesus looks at his church and reminds us today, I have chosen you. I have invested myself in you. I have filled you with my Holy Spirit so that you could fulfill the promise, the plans I revealed through Abraham that every single person on earth will be blessed because of you. Everything we do, a blessing. A blessing to the people in this hotel while we're meeting here. A blessing to people we meet in the street. A blessing to the people that carry our bags uh, from uh, uh, at the airport. A blessing everywhere with generosity. Where Jesus saw the pain of poverty, he also saw the opportunity for generosity. And so should his followers. You have another example in the pain of being unwanted. There are people in our community that are unwanted. They are under-resourced relationally. They're broken-hearted because they're human beings in full need of relationship, but they get less than they need. And a generous response is what we need to have. I love the example of Zacchaeus. Jesus, as he's entering Jericho, meets this guy Zacchaeus. Wealthy but unwanted. And he was wealthy because he cheated the people that didn't want him. I mean, he was unwanted for good reason. But look at how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus. Jesus enters Jericho and he's passing through. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way... Took a look. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Z- Jesus initiates the conversation with this low life. Nobody wanted to connect with Zacchaeus. But Jesus does. Come down here immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Of course he welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus was a dry sponge and somebody just dipped him in water. He didn't have relationships. He was despised. His wealth had cost him that. So he had plenty of resources financially, but he was way under-resourced relationally. And Jesus recognizes that. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be with the guest of a sinner. That's the guy we don't want. We want Jesus. We don't want him. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, look at what gets unleashed when generosity is expressed. Look, Lord, here and now, everybody's listening. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, boy, that makes me laugh because that reminds me of like a professional NFL player who comes up, you know, after he gets caught doing something, says, in case I've offended anybody. Here's Zacchaeus giving one of those professional apologies. But if I've cheated anybody, which I certainly have, I will pay back two times would have been enough to impress, four times the amount I've cheated them. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Generosity is connected with the pain of being unwanted. Where there is prejudice and you people feel unwanted. A generous response is to address that prejudice by inclusion. Where there's relational poverty, where there's a lack of connection, Jesus gives his friendship freely and extravagantly to those who are happy to throw away, uh, those others are happy to throw away and to forget. Where there's no pain, I doubt there is true generosity. The pain of people who are under-resourced, the pain of people who who constantly are feeling unwanted. And finally, this example, the part we often forget. There's the pain of the sacrifice of the giver, the, the noble wound of the giver. Khalil Gibran, whom I love to read, even though certainly not Christian reading, but it's, it's insightful reading, said this, generosity is not giving me that which I need more than you do. That might be pity, but it's not generosity. To go on with the quote, but it is giving me that which you need every bit as much or more than I do. There is a wound that the giver feels because the giver is giving uh, something he or she will miss. And we encourage people, when we interview people about becoming members of our church, we talk about that includes, it's not all there is to it, but that includes financial giving to the church to invest in our missions and our work. And people say, well, what's the rule? I say, well, that's a rule. You got to give as much, give enough that, it, that you're tempted to keep it. Make Feel it when you give. Generosity is a gift pulled from the giver's garden by the roots. It leaves a hole where it once was. You, you know, you, pull, you, you, you take a plant out or a tree out, and there's this clump of dirt that goes with the roots, and there's a hole where that tree used to be. That's generous giving. And Jesus is the best example of this generous giving and the pain that the giver feels. His generosity was shown through his own painful sacrifice. Jesus was generous with his reputation when he gave himself. Philippians 2 says that he did not consider recognition as divinity a thing to be held on to. He valued us more than he valued his reputation. In fact, he let go of all that, took on the form of a human being, even a servant of human beings, and gave himself when he came. He was generous with his love. John 3.16, one of the best-known verses around, reminds us that God loved the world so much that he gave. And he was generous with a heart of inclusion. That same text says he gave so that anybody, whosoever would receive him, could become part of this family. Every race, both genders, no matter what age you are, no matter how much education you have or don't have, whether you're fully resourced or under-resourced, Jesus is saying, I'm not drawing my circle of inclusion so narrow, so narrowly that people are left out. I want to draw it so broadly that everybody can recognize there's a place for you at this table of mine. He was very generous with that. Way more generous than the church is sometimes. Doesn't mean we don't believe that anything's true. There's true 
there's truth and there's, there are things that are not true. But the church, like Jesus, ought to be generous with her circle of inclusion and draw it as wide as possible so that folks with all sorts of experiences in life can at least come and find a place in the discussion. Amen? Amen. Jesus was generous with his emotions. We're reminded that Jesus wept when Lazarus died publicly. That Jesus went and looked over the city of Jerusalem, which symbolized with, for him all of the people that he came to serve. And in recognizing their constant propensity to reject the good news that he brought, wept over Jerusalem. Very generous. And he was generous with his life. He said before giving his life up, no one takes my life from me. The hymn reminds us he could have called 10,000 angels snapped his finger, and be done with the pain. But he stayed in the pain instead. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. I let them arrest me. I let them ridicule me. I knew before it ever hit my cheek when every slap was coming and from where it came. I decided to rip something out by the roots, and feel the pain of giving. Every example of Christ's generosity was painful for him. Pain and generosity go together. It's either someone else's pain to which we're responding, or our own pain because we're giving something substantial, and usually both. Why would generosity be placed under the heading of a wound? Because the phrase, give until it hurts, is not only accurate, it's redundant. True generosity is always connected with pain. The realized pain of someone in need and the sacrificial pain of someone who's given the privilege of responding to that need. We have the privilege this morning of using our senses to reconnect with true generosity, the generosity of Christ. That is the gospel, right? The gospel that Jesus brought to those of us who are poor and poor in spirit and recognize our need is that things will not always be as they are today. Things do not need to be today as they were yesterday. Jesus came in response to human need, to a broken world, and lived a life that he modeled for us. That's the goal, to live exactly like Jesus lived, to practice what he taught. That's our new trajectory if we're followers of Christ. And to give himself voluntarily, sacrifice himself, a generous sacrifice, so that we, if we respond to his invitation, could have new life, new start. Every day a new start. Text reminds us that his mercy is new every morning. He reminds us that there's a chair at the table for us if we'll sit in it. And we're invited to come to this table of communion and experience the generosity 
of Christ again. We're going to invite you to that table and we're going to finish our worship with this. After you receive, you'll get a chance to come forward and receive these elements. And then you return back to your seat and we'll, we'll dismiss together. But I remind you of the generosity of Jesus who on the night that he was betrayed <laughs> responded a lot like the people we saw in that video. Betrayed, but had a generous response. He said, this is my body, which is for you. From now on, whenever you partake of this loaf, remember me, O needy recipient. Remember me. Likewise, he took the cup. And he said, and this is my blood which is spilled for you. Blood of a new covenant, a new agreement, the blood that washes away your sin, that reunites you with your Father. Remember me, O needy recipient, whenever you take this cup. Now as you come to the tables in the front and the back, May you be reminded of and even experience the presence of he who defines generosity. May you also remember as you come that you, like everyone else, are a person with extraordinary poverty that needs to be addressed. May he address that poverty and then use your wealth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come.